This and every episode of Wrecked Podcast is brought to you by Beeksy Exchange, an upcoming cryptocurrency exchange built in collaboration with One Market Data. Beeksy is bringing legacy finance speed, power, and sophistication to crypto for the first time. With 225,000 transactions per second per pair, comparable to NASDAQ, 15 order types on day one, with 25 order types on full rollout, and a dedicated customer support team, Beeksy is setting itself apart from the competition. Check out Beeksy today at Beeksy.com and pre-register today at Beeksy.com slash registration to get your free Beeksy exchange tokens. That's Beeksy.com, B-E-A-X-Y dot com. This is Fluffy Pony and you're on Wrecked. Hello and welcome to Wrecked Podcast. I am Bunchu alongside my esteemed colleague and co-host, Crypto Chamber. Chamber, how are you today, buddy? I am doing very well. I'm very excited. We have maybe the most anticipated guest uh, so far in the history of Wrecked Podcast. So uh, it's bright and early here in North America, but I believe it's midday where he is. Well, yeah. you gonna just you gonna introduce them now or what? Uh, I think. Well, I was gonna I was gonna leave that to you as as the host. <laughs> we, as Chamber said, we have a very special guest today, Fluffy Pony Ricardo Spagni. How are you? I am excellent, thank you. Wonderful, thank you so much for joining us. We are super excited to have you. Um, let's get right into things here. So, my first question: I need to know how did you get the nickname Fluffy Pony? That is an excellent starting question. Uh, <laughs> so um, I worked with uh, these two girls at one of my early job, one of my first jobs, uh, and they were known as Fluffy Puppy and Fluffy Bunny. I <laughs> think those are nicknames that they gave themselves. At any rate, um, you know, being in that environment um, and working with them ultimately led to me needing to get a nickname as well. And they decided that Fluffy Pony was the nickname that I was going to be stuck with. And when you start using that nickname in daily conversation and people don't let you live it down, eventually you're stuck with it. <laughs> that is fantastic. I can just uh, picture, you know, those memes that go around where it's like, uh, like on St. Patrick's Day, it'll be like, here's your leprechaun name. And it's like your date of birth and your first letter of your name. And that's how you get the name. It's just like, here's your here's your Monero name. It's just fluffy plus uh, the animal you have as a pet or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I would be uh, fluffy shorky <laughs> with my little shorky shitty dogs <laughs> so, uh, chamber chamber what would be your uh your fluffy name uh just fluffy i don't i don't take pets uh no animals, pets? Sh- animals should live outside uh if they wanted <laughs> homes they should build them themselves uh, <laughs> wow okay hot, hot take hot take uh chamber is not supporting the aspca uh, no. <laughs> and we are never getting sponsorship from PETA, and that's that so um but i think we need to make that a meme maybe we'll work on the pet thing and it'll just be fluffy plus uh you know something else but um that's pretty cool i mean that's kind of how i got the nickname bunch you um randomly and then my buddies just kept with it and uh it, i've been they've been calling me that for 10 years now so <laughs> it's kind of weird but anyway all right so that was a good start so we have to i i need to ask what obviously you're um the face of Monero and the face of privacy in crypto, privacy coins in crypto. How did you get there? What were you doing before Monero? How did you get into this crazy crypto space? Well, I set out to become the legs of privacy in crypto and somehow ended up being the face of privacy in crypto along the way. <laughs> so, sorry, that was, that was terrible. Um, <laughs> We, we appreciate all bad jokes. Okay. That's uh, basically Good. what we do here. 
Good. It's, it's glad. You know, I feel like I found my people. I'm not alone. That's right. <laughs> no, this is a good, one this is a good crowd us. for you. One of us. There are literally dozens of us. Dozens yes. of us. Dozens. <laughs> um, no, so I, I, got in, I got into Bitcoin in early 2011. Um, in fact, it was around this time of the year. So I, yeah, this is, this is coming up on my uh, eighth year in, in crypto, which is, now that I think about it, a significantly long time. Um, and I started, I mean, I, how I found out about it was I was reading Slashdot as you used to back in the day. And uh, there was an article about a guy, a Google engineer, who had written a, um, a Java library for Bitcoin. And I was like, well, if a Google engineer thinks that this weird currency thing is worth looking at, maybe I should look at it too. And went down the rabbit hole. There were a lot less resources then than there are now, but there was, uh, you know, there were also a lot less scams. So it was pretty much everything you read was true and accurate. Um, and uh, lots of technically um, rich information because that was kind of, you know, everything was sort of, a lot harder there was everything was terrible from a ux perspective everything was like you know um yes this github issue and or sourceforge or whatever and you've got to like dig through it and try and figure out what you're looking at and you know how to how to do the thing that you want to do um and i think like a lot of people i found mining um interesting early on you know, it's like just let your computer run and get ready hot and you get a bunch <laughs> of worthless coins for that or not so worthless. Um, and uh, and I, I sort of was quite interested in the technical aspect of mining. Um, living in South Africa, I sort of and, and being an entrepreneur, of course, I was always looking for for business opportunities. And I was like, wow, these are these these coins are worth something and maybe I can do like a more professional sort of full-scale mining operation. And I started sketching that out and um, figuring out what it would look like. But, you know, electricity prices in South Africa um, at the time were better than they are now, but still not really competitive um, compared to other countries, especially in Europe and, uh, and sort of Asia. Uh, one of the big challenges as well, though, is heating, uh, is cooling rather. Um, South Africa's weather just naturally is a lot warmer than um, many other places we don't get snow in winter so you know like a wet coldish winter um, would not be too bad but then when the temperatures are hitting like 40 degrees celsius in summer you know cooling that farm is going to be painful so i spent a, spent a little while playing around with that idea and then eventually decided like that wasn't really going to work for me so maybe what i should do is look at being the guy who sells spades to miners, you know, or sells pickaxes to miners. Like, mm -hmm. you know, there's all this, there's all this like peripheral ecosystem stuff. So, um, dabbled in writing some tools to help miners, um, spent a lot of time, uh, trying to figure out like what drivers you should be using if you're GPU mining, um, uh, played around with uh, pre-ordered butterfly labs, ASICs got burnt on that. I did get some of my jalapenos um, eventually, and they were like basically worthless by the time they arrived. Um, <laughs> so you know, fun fun times, early ASIC mining fun times, um, and uh, yeah, I did a little, did a little bit of like um, wind sort of or uh, uh, air cooled uh, designs and like you know wind sort of having like a wind tunnel type of design where you mount everything inside that, um, and learnt a lot, which was of course fascinating and uh, ultimately um, ended up designing and selling a flat packed uh, stackable open airframe for GPU miners that was like 2013 um, and that did really well um, shipping from South Africa was a pain had a lot of people very upset complaining on Bitcoin talk because their stuff took three months to arrive um, people who chose the more expensive courier option they were happy it arrived in like a week um, and, uh, and that sort of ended up or, or, or exposed me to the world of altcoins in a much larger way. I mean, previously I'd sort of dabbled, but, uh, you know, GPU mining in 2013 was all altcoins. 
and um, it you know people would want to buy my frames but they would then go okay can we pay you in feather coin and I would go like no you can't you can pay me with PayPal or Bitcoin those are your options um, and and people didn't people wanted to like get rid of their old coins because they're miners that's what they're mining and there was no shapeshift you know so like they'd have to go to an exchange to like exchange it for Bitcoin and that's a pain um, and and that sort of led to to me trying to uh, or, or figuring out like trying to figure out ways of um, creating an ecosystem uh, or some sort of payment system around um, like why should the merchant care what the person's paying with which uh, is led to one of the businesses I have which is Globy which is a payment gateway um, so anyway I'm sort of heavily involved with altcoins and uh, you know by virtue of, of the mining thing and early 2014 someone says uh, says to me on IRC um, have you heard of this Bitcoin thing? And I'm like, yeah, of course I've heard of Bitcoin. Everyone's heard of Bitcoin. It's that little, you know, whatever it is, Dogecoin fork or whatever, some, something that no one cared about. And he's like, no, there's another Bitcoin that uh, is, is on Bitcoin that someone's just found on Bitcoin Talk. And I'm like, oh, link me to the thread. And he linked me to the thread and there was this whole like, you know, Bitcoin discovery fake scam thing going on. Um, but out of the, the 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 gem that came out of that was this crypto note white paper and coupled with the the uh, crypto note reference implementation which was a brand new code base wasn't based on bitcoin and i was like wow this is really interesting it's um privacy preserving it's got some really interesting ideas um and the, the privacy stuff really jumped out at me because um I'd uh, done a lot of thinking about uh, about privacy enhancements. Um, I'd played around with a non-coin, which was an early attempt at it. Um, and I'd, uh, I'd given a lot of uh, thought to like privacy enhancing systems in general, but I couldn't really figure out clever tricks to apply it to a cryptocurrency, except for the obvious, which is like slap Tor on top of it. Um, and uh, and so now suddenly there was this thing that I looked at and I was like, wow, this is really amazing because it is the it's the first time that I've ever um, seen um, this sort of privacy enhancing technology applied to a cryptocurrency in a way that makes sense to me. Uh, you know, I mean, I knew of like zero cash and zero coin, which at the time were um, were theory, uh, but this was like practical this was you know the I was a working code base it made sense and it wasn't based on Bitcoin so that was kind of how I ended up getting involved with that whole part of the, or that whole world um, and uh, then Monero was launched by a guy called thankful for today uh, it was launched as BitMonero, which is a dumb name because Monero means coin in Esperanto so BitMonero literally means Bitcoin um, <laughs> very, yeah you know, like th th things you discover later on. Um, and uh, and when Thankful for Today turned out to not be a particularly benevolent dictator, uh, when he ended up being kind of hostile to the community, then the community forked the project away from him. And one of the first things we did was name our, our alternate implementation Monero instead of BitMonero. Um, and that sort of, we went from there and I guess because I like talking, I ended up becoming the face of Monero. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's funny. So, like, I mean, how did that happen? I mean, it, it just the community kind of said, hey, you're the guy? Or, 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 like, how does that come to be? So, um, you know, open source projects, especially when they're in the infancy, are really interesting. Um, there's, no, there, there's no real leaders. Uh, everyone just sort of does things because things need to be done so it's like guys we need a website okay cool so someone went and registered monero.cc and then it was like well we need to put something on there and so like myself and this other guy david latapi like put some information together and like shoved it on the on the website just so that there was something there um and then we needed 
a GitHub account registered. And so then Taco Time went and registered a GitHub account. And like there was all this practical stuff that needed to happen. And so everyone's just chipping in um, and, and doing it. And then like over time, because I had a lot of, uh, a lot of free time and could devote a lot of time to it, I ended up taking on a lot of responsibility that other people couldn't. Um, you know, due to lack of time, lack of resources, lack of whatever. Um, and so because of that, I became like the de facto loudest voice, you know, just because I had time and could devote it to this, um, not for any other reason. Um, and it's like that in, in a lot of open source projects, especially at the beginning. It's not the guy with the most money or the guy with the prettiest face or the guy, even necessarily the guy with the best coding skills. It's really the guys with the most amount of time are the ones that become the most useful to to uh, taking that project from its in, infantile, very useless state to some a state where it's actually useful and has a, a much larger community and is actually able to push the envelope. That's super interesting. Uh, Chamber, do you have enough free time to become the face of anything? Well, you know what? I think I do. Uh, I was also going to say... I I'd have to imagine there's probably not a lot of, um, you know, extrovert people in this space too. So obviously you being, uh, like you said, very talkative, very, uh, you know, kind of a little bit more outgoing than most. Uh, you know, I think that's a natural fit for you. Would, would that would that make sense? Yeah, I, I think um, it, it's you're definitely uh, quite accurate with that. Um, and I think also the other thing that I noticed is, um, you know, I I value my privacy, but I, um, I, I'm able to compartmentalize and I go sort of like, well, this is my privacy. This is the stuff that happens in my house. This is my private life. But then everything else I'm happy to sort of like expose to the public because I have become kind of accustomed to that from business and from having to, to deal with, um, uh, on a, obviously on a very different scale and in a very different way I've had to deal with like business publicity whether it is talking at a conference or going to a client meeting and having to deal with like all of that conversation and so this was just much of the same um, but but in a in a different way and in fact I enjoyed this a lot more because it was like you know a lot of those those early public conversations we had no idea what we were talking about um, there were, you know, parts of the, the way that Monero worked that we were still figuring out. Um, and, uh, and so there was this massive learning experience whilst you're doing the whole, like, like talking to people about it and getting their input and, um, and really just building up your, your knowledge and, uh, and like just soaking it, soaking up everything that everyone says like a sponge. Yeah, that's crazy. So. Uh, without getting too technically in the weeds, so for those who may not know, how does Monero work from a privacy perspective? Cool, good question. So um, the easiest way to explain this is to consider five aspects of privacy. And you can take these five aspects and you can take a look at any privacy enhancing financial system and say, or so-called privacy enhancing and say, does it have all five of these? Um, and Monero has all five of these to a greater or a lesser degree. So the first is um, where, where hiding where transactions go to. So in Bitcoin, when you pay someone, you send money to their address. And when you go look at a block explorer, you can see that money went to that address and you can see the exact amount. So on Monero, we use something called dual key stealth addressing. And what that does is it hides the address that it's going to. So whilst I need your address to pay you, once I've made that payment, anyone who looks in the block explorer will not be able to figure out what address I've paid, even if they know the exact transaction and the exact output in the transaction that they're looking at. They will just see this seemingly random destination. The second aspect is um, hiding transaction values. So, um, you know, again, with Bitcoin, you can see the value of uh, each amount that's being paid. Um, and with Monero, you can't. And the reason is because Monero uses something called Ring CT. And the CT there is, stands for Confidential Transactions. It's based on Greg Maxwell's Confidential Transactions. And uh, it uses something called a commitment instead of the actual amount, um, a cryptographic commitment. And there's some clever cryptographic tricks that are done 
to make sure that there are no coins created out of thin air um, because you're no longer using amounts. So we have to make sure that there's still no new coins being created, except obviously the block reward. Um, and then the third thing is hiding where transactions are coming from. So in Monero, we use something called ring signatures. And uh, this is, I would say, probably the weakest aspect of Monero's privacy um, because it is such a hard part of, of uh, or, or such a hard part to get right. So basically, what the way ring signatures work is, um, when you're creating a transaction in Monero, you're spending money from an old transaction, from you know a transaction that you previously received the money in. And in, in Bitcoin, there's like this direct link to that old transaction. In Monero, what happens is your transaction appears to be spending a number of old transactions on the blockchain, including the, the actual one that you're spending. Um, and, uh, you know, it could be 17 of those or 18 of those, however many, um, you know, there's a, a sort of um, fixed set size that we use. Um, the thing that makes it difficult and the thing that makes it the weakest part of Monero's privacy is that it um, choosing which transactions to include um, in the in this old transaction set that you're sort of uh, creating your transaction from is genuinely difficult because people and and we you know we we've learned this over time by actually analyzing monero's uh, usage patterns or or, bit, or cryptocurrencies usage patterns in general um, people tend to receive money and spend it quite quickly and only very occasionally do they spend money that they received six months or a year or two years ago so you need to account for both and you need to weight that output selection quite heavily in the favor of Ultra, sorry, newer transactions, and like have only one or two older transactions in the mix, so that you know everything sort of becomes um, a lot more obscured. Um, it's not perfect. Uh, it's we've improved it over time um, rapidly and and with a lot more knowledge now than we had at the beginning. Um, this was you know we we sort of figured out quite early on within the first twelve months. Um, of working on Monero that this was going to be a problem um, and that's why we spent so much time and energy improving this um, and there are further improvements that uh, the Monero Research Lab have ideas for that are that that will make it even better but at this point in time that's sort of that that uh, transaction graph traceability aspect of Monero is uh, relatively compared to the rest of Monero's privacy enhancing aspects aspects it's relatively weaker it's still very very strong um, you know, and it still would take a monumental amount of metadata to be able to um, try and break that. But it's important to understand that Monero is not perfect. And this is one of the areas that, that requires more work and more improvement. Anyway, so that's the third aspect. The fourth aspect is hiding um, the IP address that transactions originate from. So Monero um, allows you to broadcast transactions over Tor or over I2P. And one of the projects that we're working on at the moment um, is to eventually bake this um, into the protocol in a way that uh, it will be completely, it won't require any effort from the user and transaction, all transactions will be broadcast over hidden services, but blocks will still be broadcast over normal internet um, so that uh, you, your uh, full nodes and so on aren't at risk of um, things like uh, isolation attacks, but you're still able to have that disconnect between a transaction and the IP address that first broadcast it. Um, practically attacking this is very difficult, so it's honestly not the the most important aspect of uh, of any privacy enhancing system, financial system, but it's important to at least have the option there. And then the last aspect is maximizing the privacy set. And the way you do this in a um, uh, privacy enhancing financial system is by having it the default. So everyone has to use the privacy. And if you want to opt out of the privacy, that's fine um, because only a handful of people will ever opt out and they'll only opt out um, in specific situations. And normally they only opt out to a small set of parties. So for example, you might opt out of privacy 
because you need to be audited and so you opt out of privacy uh, as respects your auditor but you don't opt out of privacy globally um, or in a way that compromises the privacy of anyone else so those five are, are really the the private the the five key privacy enhancing aspects hiding where transactions are going to um, where they're coming from what the amount is what the first broadcast ip address is and then maximizing the privacy set by making it the default chamber you got all that yeah he's going <laughs> through these five these these you know these five requirements and it, it really makes you think how insane the challenges of keeping something private in this day and age it, no you know kidding. what I mean? Like it, yeah. re it, it's really insane. I'm like, how do you keep stuff private today? And apparently, uh, you need uh, at least five of those uh, five of those requirements. So <laughs> it, it's it's pretty it's it, it's blowing my mind right now uh, that you're a able to do so and b uh, just how how big that challenge actually is. Yeah, I think it's funny but, too that like uh, you know when we think about privacy, we just automatically think about oh, well, not giving our information, right? But like then we go ahead and use credit cards where they're probably the least private thing that we have, and we use them every day, all the time, and it's giving or like your phone number, you give it out like it's nothing, but right. it's one of the most important pieces of information that you have about yourself. And, we used to put all of those in a book and like hand those books out to crazy people, you know, once a year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we do, now we do the same thing but we call it facebook that's right <laughs> exactly. but so i mean i think that's a really good point so you know nothing we do is private and so when you think about what it really takes to make something private it's pretty uh yeah like it, it didn't really register with me until he started going through uh, all of those i'm like oh shit this is serious like well, this, so, it's very difficult to make things private yeah my so my next question and i guess we're kind of talking about it already is why is that so important especially you know in crypto you know why is privacy such a, a important thing in your opinion ricardo so i i think we live in a world where we have just like completely sacrificed all hope of privacy merely so we can carry on playing farmville and <laughs> and that's it's actually <laughs> insane to think that's so sad i know it is you know when when you read like george orwell's 1984 it's like oh look at the oppressive state and the state is so bad the this the government's put cameras in everyone's house and you know and there's listening devices everywhere and like they're processing all this information and and like it's like yeah man that, that would be a crazy world to live in wouldn't it <laughs> except now what we do is we have alexa and homepod and we stick them in our house and then we're surprised that someone is processing all that information so we sit down and we sit you know, down every thursday and watch a show called big brother yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly like the the crazy thing is we have we we live in an orwellian state in an orwellian society the difference is we've invited it into our home we put all our lives on Instagram and Facebook. We we broadcast our lives on Snapchat and and Vine and YouTube and all of these things. We like we put our location on our phones and we let Google handle that. And and then we like we just invite all this stuff in because you know why? Because we get convenience. And the convenience is apparently the ultimate thing um, and we're quite happy to just forego everything else um, as long as we can go hey Alexa please pay play a Dr. Dre song I mean like you know because we're too lazy to pull out our phone and type in the song that we want to play and we're just willing to have a device that's always listening so we we have just completely compromised our privacy and now we're starting to wake up slowly but now we're starting to wake up and you can see it you can see it in things like um apple making privacy a defining distinguishing part of their uh device lineup like that is amazing because it means that people will eventually start choosing that product because it preserves their privacy 
and and i think that the realization that people are starting to come to slowly is that we have like we've just compromised our own privacy and now it's time to take it back so i think you mentioned a good point there it's uh you know, you trade off privacy for convenience. And so how do we, you know, how do you see something like Monero or crypto in general helping to bridge that gap? So I think that, that crypto in general, um, or Bitcoin in, in particular, as, a, as the, the crypto that everyone knows more than anything else, I think that, that um, it, it's, an, it's an amazing thing because the self-sovereignty that it gives people is the first step to reclaiming um, your data. You know, you, it, it can't really be yours when everyone has access to it. And it can't really be your finances when everyone has access to it. So the fact that with Bitcoin, sure, you, there's privacy issues, but the fact that um, it's yours and no one can take it from you without coming to your house and beating you over the head with a hammer. And even then, by the way, like with multi-sig and having some extra parties involved, even then they might not be able to take your money away from you. Um, the fact that that self-sovereignty is available is the first step. The fact that once you get that self-sovereignty, there are ways of enhancing your privacy with Bitcoin even is... An, an integral part of the future that I hope we will have where we've reclaimed some of our privacy. Yeah, that's super interesting. I think uh, the more and more people that start to realize that, the more, you know, kind of adoption we'll get. I think it's kind of uh, the big struggle is that sometimes crypto is not easy to use. So you talk about it's sometimes it's the furthest thing from convenience you know what i mean but absolutely uh, i think i think that's the gap that you know we got a bridge and then everybody can wake up you know what i mean yeah and and i think that that's like i can tell you just based on um things that i've observed in the crypto space over the past um nine years eight years um people that got into crypto for entirely selfish reasons like hey i'm here to make money uh you know i'm here to get rich they have picked up good habits with regards to data sanity with regards to privacy just by being exposed to all of this um you take people that are just like they're they're traders all they care about is trading they have no ideological bent here um, they just want to go on Binance and BitMEX and short this and long that and do TA and say it's in downward facing dog position on the chart <laughs> and, and do all of this. Like they, ha they are the first ones to pull their profit off the exchange so that it's not at risk. They are the first ones to go and set up like 30 different wallets in VMs so that they're able to have those coins um, in, in a way that it's truly theirs and not at risk. Um, and yeah, some of them take like ridiculous, um, ridiculous amounts of risk, but like they get burnt once and then they learn their lesson, you know, and it's like that, that level of like data sanity and, and owning your own keys and, um, you know, l learning about like, like where you're getting, um, poked at from a privacy perspective, because you don't want your money stolen is a lesson that I wish more people would learn. And the fact that they're in there for entirely for self-serving profit reasons, but they're learning the good habits, um, it sort of warms my heart that at least it's getting out there. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, I have a couple questions here from some of our listeners uh, that you might be able to answer for us. So one here is, what's the best comparison in your words between something like Rio currency and other kryptonite algo coins and Monero in regards to their privacy and algorithm differences? So I think that, the, I mean, there are a lot of forks of Monero um, and there are a lot of forks or there are a lot of kryptonite based um, currencies. Um, Cryptonote is largely sort of dead in the water. It has been for for many years. So pretty much anything that's um, that that's building off Cryptonote now is doing so off Monero um, or, or off Monero's code base. And to be honest, I think you know it's the same as like Bitcoin forks. They're all mostly half a dozen of one, six of the other. The the difference between 
one uh, particular fork of Bitcoin and another particular fork of Bitcoin um, isn't the features really. They, you know, they, the features are not a distinguishing factor. Um, it's, it's really just the liquidity that's available and the number of users that are actually using it, um, which is the ecosystem size. And so with Monero, um, the liquidity that's available is key uh, because you know that it means that there there's uh, more liquidity available for moving in and out of Monero, um, and also it's easier to to sort of get lost in the crowd when you have a large user base that's v that's a lot more liquid than others. Um, you know, there's no point in saying, "Oh, we should we want to get lost in the crowd," but the crowd is like 200 people. You know, um, the crowd needs to be thousands and thousands and thousands of people so i think that the like like i'm sure that there are people that can speak more to um the particular differences between monero and aeon or the particular differences between uh monero and italo coin and and all these other projects but honestly i don't think that it makes any difference um whatsoever the key factor is how big is the crowd that you want to get lost in that's interesting point especially about liquidity right you get in these some of these other coins and you need to sell it or whatever and there's no one to sell to and then you can't keep the same what you thought you were getting rid of is not worth the same amount as it was two minutes ago so i think that's a really important point um next question here was what are your thoughts on kyc and um the the thought that you know it'll be everywhere all over exchanges soon um when we talk about privacy do you see that being the case do you think uh where do you what do you think about that whole aspect yeah look i mean i think that there's there's a there's a subset of um of of crypto people um of the community and of people building products who eschew kyc and they want to build systems that get around that and i think that those systems are not going away um, if you look at systems like BISC um, and uh, some of the other decentralized exchange projects, um, they are never going to have KYC. Um, and there, there's no way to build, I mean, you know, why would you build KYC into it? It's unnecessary. Um, and uh, I, I do think that um, we're going to get to a point where hopefully people become very accustomed to um, privacy enhancing systems being a way of life and I'd like to I'd like to just make it clear that I am not against policing um, in general or law enforcement I'm not against um, at all um, the surveillance of somebody where there is an actual um, uh, indication that the person is committing a crime I have no problem with uh, with with that sort of active surveillance the issue that i have is with passive surveillance so kyc and uh, in its current form is a form of passive surveillance it basically takes the the onus from law enforcement agencies who would otherwise go and have confidential informants and they would go and do actual police work actual detective work to go and figure out when people are committing crimes instead it takes all of the responsibility off their shoulders and it puts it on financial institutions who now need to do kyc aml um, uh, reporting this reporting that reporting the other um, and it's it's created this in this system where all these financial agencies, whether it's your bank or your broker or, you know, um, the, the company you're uh, buying a car from or leasing a car from, everyone now is on edge and they're just looking out for like anything that could be going wrong, um, anywhere where they might need to go and take action because you might possibly be a terrorist who is buying a car and, you know, like they need to, they need to stop that. It's not the police that need to stop that. It's the bank that needs to stop that, which is crazy. And so it's led to this this entire perverse system where um, everyone's just like on edge all the time and they're playing policemen when it's not their job to be policemen. Their job is to be a good bank or a good credit broker or, a, uh, you know, a good f whatever financial provider. 
not to be a bank who's also a policeman yeah that's a <clears throat> i think that's a really great point um and I've, because you're right there's no there's no need for the passive part of it and um i think people will hopefully see that at some point um one other question here and then i'll get into something else uh i did want to ask you about tari project and um if you could tell us kind of what that is where it uh, where it came from and you know what what are the goals there sure so tari is trying to be a decentralized assets protocol and um, so I'm one of the co-founders of Tari Labs, which is one of the biggest contributors or is, is the biggest contributor to the Tari protocol. Um, and the idea is that digital assets uh, can and should be really useful, but that none of the protocols that we've seen thus far for digital assets have um, really been scalable secure and extensible enough um, for like true consumer needs um, so digital assets what we think of as digital assets are things that are natively digital assets so things like loyalty points in-game assets in-game to tokens security tokens tickets uh what else um you could use tokens for a bunch of things that are natively digital like drm um and at the moment like you know, there's, there's sort of like the scattershot um, approach to a lot of these systems. So you've got Ethereum, for example, which I think is arguably the largest digital assets platform in the world. Um, and Ethereum is just horrible from a scaling perspective. It has no built-in privacy and it has a bunch of other issues of its own. Um, and, uh, and so it's not really designed for that. It's designed for, well, I mean, you know, it's designed to boil the ocean, which I don't think is a, a good approach to anything, but it's not really designed for digital assets. It can do digital assets, um, but it tends to do so in a very chunky, uh, chunky way. So we're sort of saying like, what if instead of trying to do the boil the ocean approach that Ethereum took, what if we just focused on digital assets and built a system that can do that in a way that is incredibly secure, incredibly extensible um, and highly scalable. And that's really what um, Tari, what, uh, Tari is trying to become. Interesting. Um, so I'm looking at Tari right now on the website, and there's a couple cool differences here. Uh, one of it, one of it comes with the mining, and I see something about merge mining. Can you explain that? Sure. So one of the issues um, at the moment, of course, uh, is with securing a, a protocol, um, and we've seen lots of different ideas. Um, from things like PBFT, which is practical Byzantine fault tolerance, to like EOS that has 21 people who get on a phone call every Monday and decide what uh, transactions are gonna allow that week, to um, proof of work, which is you know the classic Bitcoin and uh, Monero uh, way of uh, coming to consensus, uh, to proof of stake, which has its own issues, um, which I am not convinced are surmountable. Um, the the issue with proof of work that a lot of people raise is, oh yes, but it consumes a lot of electricity, which is true, yep. you know, and the energy is is literally being used to secure the 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 um, uh, the chain, so that's good. Um, but now you can imagine with something like um, like digital assets, it would be crazy if like each digital asset provider went and like spun up a whole new um, blockchain and got a bunch of people to mine it, that would be ludicrous. Um, in fact, if you take it one step further, anyone building a new protocol really should be trying to avoid, uh, if at all possible, creating a new proof of work um, uh, based protocol and just adding more miners into the mix because that just seems at least a little bit irresponsible. Um, so we looked at this. Uh, when you say that, you mean from a securing the network perspective, because the more miners, the more secure the network is. Correct. Yes, but but I mean, in other words, like there's like there's a, a limited amount of. I mean, like, like if we kept creating new proof of work chains mm -hmm. all the time, and then eventually, like more and more people were mining them because like 
like all of them are trying to be profitable um, and so then the pool of available miners grows then you're just burning more and more electricity and I think that there's like an upper bound for the amount of electricity that we need to burn in order to keep all of the proof of work chains secure um, you know both Bitcoin Monero and and so on um, and I th that's where that's where stuff like merge mining becomes really useful because the way merge mining works is um, and, and it's been done for things like Dogecoin and Namecoin and uh, a couple of others. Um, the way it works is miners that are already mining Monero will be able to mine Tari as well with n almost no extra effort. There's no, it, it's not going to burn more electricity. There's a tiny little bit of extra effort that the mining pool needs to take, but the actual miners won't, they won't notice a difference. Um, and they will be rewarded with their normal Monero block reward um, and transaction fees. And then they'll be rewarded with an additional Tari trans uh, block reward and transaction fees um, because of the, the merge mining of it. And what this does from Tari's perspective is it will secure Tari's chain by binding it to Monero's chain. Um, and it, it creates very little overhead. There are not a lot of problems um, that, that uh, with the system. It's been in use and in, in play for um, coins like Namecoin for many, many years. Um, it provides all of the security for, that Monero has for the Tari chain upfront without needing uh, anyone needing to go and canvas um, a brand new set of miners. And it doesn't burn any more electricity than Monero is already uh, creating. So from that perspective, it's it, like a win-win-win. And uh, that's one of the reasons why um, uh, Tari is, is going to be merged mined with Monero. We get all of Monero security. Um, miners get, uh, get an extra block reward which means that they're able to um, be more profitable, faster, and for longer, um, and everyone wins. That's super interesting, especially from the uh, electricity perspective, because that is, you know, one of the big, uh, you know, criticisms of mining and all of that kind of stuff. So I think that's a really awesome point that you made and not something I really had thought of in, uh, before. So that's pretty interesting. Um, Chamber, any questions here before I move on to the stuff that you really want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm okay. I, I, you know, those tree hugging hippies can all go to hell. Uh, <laughs> oh, let's burn some energy. <laughs> uh, and bridges while you're at that's it. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So we got PETA and then what, like the, yeah, they, uh, I feel like those are like kind of the same they're group. Like same people. Yeah. You just, you just. So, I'm really, ham I'm doubling down on them right now. <laughs> uh, all right, Fluffy Pony. So I'm going to read you a tweet. This is, this is, uh, this is what Chamber really wants to talk about because Chamber is kind of like our resident uh, Twitter gossip guy. So um, this is a tweet you put out, I guess, uh, a couple days ago to Calvin Ayer. Hey, Calvin Ayer, is it possible to get a four for one deal on those lawsuits that the, so the whole magical crypto team can get sued together? That way we can sync up our lawsuit timing. So Chamber, you want to dive into this? Yeah, so I, I, I woke up uh, a couple of days ago and was very confused on Twitter. Um, I thought a bunch of cats were following me um, <laughs> with, <laughs> with astronaut helmets on. Um, but it turns out uh, people have been getting uh, some, some letters in the mail. Uh, we've been seeing it more and more over the last couple of days. Uh, but yeah, Calvin Air has been sending out um, some, some, some correspondence via their, their lawyers um like cease and desist letters um it's it's been pretty insane i know you've uh, you've been a little vocal on it uh i know there's been talk of uh like legal uh, help for is it uh i want to get the name right uh <laughs> the the, the uh, hodl not hodl not yeah the, yeah the astronaut cat um so yeah do you want to talk a little bit about that sure um i mean it's to, to anyone that, that hasn't been following the the whole thing really comes down to uh, there's this guy Craig Wright who says that he um, is Satoshi Nakamoto the guy who created Bitcoin to to that end I mean you would expect someone 
um, who makes such a bold claim to mm -hmm. provide proof and then we could all go oh wow he really is and off we go to the races um, and to date he hasn't provided any public proof he has claimed to have provided proof privately um, to some people which you know I mean <laughs> like that what does that even mean it's like like I, I can I can provide proof that I'm the king of England to people privately you know like it's uh, unless unless it's public how no one how is anyone supposed to uh, accept that you know it's like like i'm the king of england and you can tr you you can trust me you can also trust my best friend jim and my uncle bob because i've <laughs> proved it to them you know i mean it, it it's meaningless so extravagant, um, extravagant claims you need extravagant evidence uh, yeah abso also, you know. absolutely you can't you can't make a, a claim that is that large and then go like well I'm not providing evidence but that's exactly what he's done and it's it's super frustrating because like I'm I'm happy with two scenarios I'm happy with never knowing who Satoshi is or was I'm also happy with finding out who Satoshi is or was as long as it's accompanied by actual proof um, this weird in between where it's like hi I'm Satoshi but I refuse to prove it to you is it's it's not only frustrating and infuriating but it's like it's just it's like why you know what what is what are you out to do um and making grandiose claims like that is normally accompanied by um by some sort of scheme and i don't know what the scheme is or what the the, the plan is but i mean it feels like a con you know it really feels like a con I feel like this, like an expert con artist is trying to take me for a ride. Um, and so I've been very vocal about the fact that until such time as there's actual public evidence, um, it, I'm of the opinion that Craig Wright is a fraud. And there are a lot of people that agree with me. Um, and so now um, Craig has uh, shacked up with this guy, Colvin Ayer, who is... I know he made a bunch of money from online gambling or uh, running online poker stuff or whatever he does. Um, and uh, now Colvin is basically footing the bill for um, uh, for them to go and sue people who say that Craig Wright is a fraud. <laughs> and and I, again, I don't know what the end game is here because I mean, if the end game is to get a bunch of people to go to court, I, like what's the point and if the end game is to try and frighten people into um complying with the letter's demands and the letter says that you have to publicly apologize <laughs> and acknowledge that craig is satoshi i mean that can i, that can seems, I read can i read the yeah, apology so I'm, please I'm actually, do <laughs> i'm actually reading uh peter mccormick's uh letter he had posted on twitter the other day uh so at the very end uh, the apology that needs to be made to dr craig wright uh, has to sound like this I was wrong to allege Craig Wright fraudulently claimed to be Satoshi. I accept he is Satoshi. I am sorry, Dr. Wright. I will not repeat this libel. Isn't that great? <laughs> what, what a crazy letter to receive. Uh, yeah, no, this is, this, is, this is something fantastic here. Uh, but yeah, I don't know what the end game is. I would imagine with uh, Calvin Ayer... Uh, he a couple of weeks ago he was getting some heat on Twitter for some oh boy. for some yeah. imagery. Uh, so I'm assuming he's like, well, let's I'll just take my money and uh, let's let's change the narrative and really talk about Craig Wright being Satoshi. But by the way, did you speaking of Peter? Uh, did you see that picture he posted where he was wearing the like Craig Wright as a fraud shirt? And yeah. then you know how he always has the Ian Bellina picture mm -hmm. in the background of that picture. I don't know oh, if you I noticed. Notice. It's the Calvin Air picture. <laughs> So my, my favorite part of the whole Peter thing uh, was when I read uh, the letter that he received, the first thing I noticed was the handwriting for the yeah, lawyer. his signature. <gasps> and I'm like, am I the only one that noticed that? So I'm glad that I'm not the only one that noticed his childlike uh, signature. It's uh, real bad. It's very <laughs> bad. Uh, and so Peter, uh, in his uh, reply back, uh, basically mirrored the signature <laughs> with his name, and it's now the uh, the background on his Twitter page. So I, I think I think fantastic. I think that's terrific. So, but like I think maybe. So uh, I don't know how this would actually work if he does, you know, take people to court. But in like a fraud or libel suit. 
isn't I, I guess the burden of proof is on the accusers, correct? And I mean, I th- as far as I know, and I am not a lawyer, but the burden of proof <laughs> you, you're would not, be on the- You're not a lawyer? I'm, I'm not. Oh. I am not. I am also not a astronaut skeleton or an astronaut cat. Um, the So like the burden of proof, I feel like, would be on the accusers and not the accused. So maybe his whole end game is to, you know, take people to court and basically have somebody say it's not up to him to prove he is it's uh like you can't say he's not so that could be a end around way for him to not have to provide any proof which it would be interesting and kind of genius on his part i guess <laughs> but so, so i don't know the, the whole thing's fucked here's the problem with that i mean it's it, it could be you're absolutely right um and depend on dependent on the jurisdiction in some jurisdictions um, the person saying he's a fraud has to prove would have to prove the validity of that statement. In other jurisdictions, he'd have to prove he's Satoshi Nakamoto first. So I mean, it's you know it's entirely jurisdictional. But I think that the the big thing here is, um, regardless, I can I can for example go to court and I can provide proof that uh, he's a fraud merely by um, showing some of the stuff that he's already done. Um, like where he's falsified signatures, you know, falsifying a, a, a cryptographic signature, like that is a fraudulent action. It it doesn't matter whether he's Satoshi Nakamoto or not. That is a fraudulent action. And so, my calling him a fraud and saying that he's not Satoshi Satoshi Nakamoto because of his fraudulent actions, I think, is an entirely reasonable conclusion to make. I would agree. Um, Chamber, I keep thinking back to when we had Lisa on. <laughs> so, uh, Ricardo, Lisa Lisa Edwards, we had her on uh, to talk about she's writing a, a movie, all that kind of stuff, and she is actually Craig Wright's sister. So, we obviously asked her the question of do you think your brother is satoshi uh chamber how would you kind of describe her response wow that, i mean it's family you think back it's, about it it's now. family but she gave the most politically correct answer you could uh for you know for him being your brother uh <laughs> it definitely it didn't feel um like she was even convinced. yeah she was definitely on on the fence i would say at best and that's his sister so that was interesting but Anyway, so that's the latest uh, Craig Wright Satoshi Twitter gossip that I know Chamber was chomping at the bit. Yeah, no, that was that was great. And shout and shout out to uh, the rest of the magical crypto team. That's uh, Whale Panda Satoshi Light. And is it? I always thought it was uh, Excelion, but is it Excel Lion? No, it it is Excelion, but it's because it's got Lion in the in the name. All right, I just want to make sure. No, no, don't don't worry. It is Excelion. Perfect. So talk about talk about what you guys are doing uh, all together there with the magical crypto. Sure. Group. So we've got a conference coming up next month um, in New York called Magical Crypto Conference. We're really excited about it. The um, speaker lineup is insane. I am yeah, really, I'm I'm just like blown away by the number of speakers um, that that sent us um, an application for uh, when we put out the call for speakers. Um, and like, I mean, we, like, we really struggled to choose speakers. And I mean, there were some that we approached as well. Um, and we had this just like fantastic combination of speakers and like, there are, there are a bunch that we had to say no to, um, and like, like really good world-class speakers. Um, and I, I'm, you know, it's so frustrating. It's like, if we'd known that we were going to get this sort of response, we would have had like a three-day conference. Um, So, so yeah, the speaker lineup is phenomenal, uh, and the speaking slots are short. We're not, we're, it's not these like forty-five minute um, long speaking slots. It's short, fifteen-minute um, talks, and then longer panels. It gives it's it's you know fifteen minutes. I think is plenty of time um, for someone to to speak about something interesting, um, and for the audience to still have rapt attention. Um, so yeah, it's going to be quite a fast-paced conference. Um, we think we'll move through things pretty quickly. There's two tracks. There's a, a more technical track, and then a track that is slightly less technical. Um, and um, it's uh, you, you know we've we've got topics ranging from um, how to create more Bitcoin core developers 
through to uh, how to use cryptocurrencies without the internet, um, through to uh, obviously privacy topics and all sorts of things in between. Um, there's also a vendor area uh, where there'll be booths and people actually selling stuff at booths. So it's not like, you know, like Yara's just a bunch of informative booths with like, you know, booth babes that don't know anything <laughs> about the product. That's super frustrating. Um, so we've encouraged, we've tried to encourage people that have booths to either sell something or to demo something. Um, you know, like I hate vendor areas because it's literally just like a bunch of, a bunch of vendors with like, um, large TV panels uh, at the back, yeah. um, showing like, uh, their products off. And that's so frustrating. Like I go there so that I can either buy stuff or that they can tell me about their product and show it to me in the flesh. Um, so yeah, we're trying to, we're trying to make it like just, just more interesting and a lot more fun. We have a, a bunch of cool chill out areas as well. Also because we realize, uh, I, I know from personal experience that when I'm at a conference the whole day, like, um, I want to sit and sometimes talk to people and it's very frustrating when like, there's no way to do that. And you end up having to like sit on the floor next to the elevators. Yeah. That's, uh, what are the dates of this? May 11th and 12th. Yeah, so that's coming up pretty soon. I'm just looking at the speaker list now, and it's crazy. Uh, Elizabeth Stark from Lightning Labs, Adam Back from Blockstream. Uh, you got Meltem Demures and Jill Carlson, who shout out to their podcast. They're pretty, uh, it's a pretty awesome podcast that they're doing, the What Grinds My Gears. Um, just Jimmy Song, tons of uh, Jameson Lop. Man, you guys are loaded. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are loaded so that's pretty cool so that'll be fun so check it out if you're in new york may 11th and 12th uh all right so we're gonna end it with some fun here we obviously like to be relevant and topical so as you may know Game of Thrones kicked off last night uh, for its final season. Everybody's talking about it, and uh, so we want to see who you would, th who you think your magical crypto friends would be if they were Game of Thrones characters. So, I guess let's start with yourself. Who would you be in the Game of Thrones universe? Uh, <laughs> um. That's yo. That's a uh, that's a tough one. Um, I I think I kind of think that I could pull off Jon Snow. Oh, 100%. Wow. That's, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. All right. So we're gonna get right out the gate with Jon Snow. Um, let's. Who would Charlie Lee be? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I kind of. Uh, yeah, that. I mean, Charlie Lee. You could Ch Charlie Lee could probably pull off like Arya Stark. I think pretty <laughs> yeah. well, but like you know the male version. Um, <laughs> the chicken has no name. Yeah. Um, and then like who else? And then then whale panda. Theon Greyjoy. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I think that that would that would work out well, and then obviously Excellion has to be Joffrey. Wow, there you go. <laughs> I think those are awesome uh, casting choices. So that's it. We just wanted to have a little fun with something relevant there towards the end. So that's going to do it for all the things that we have. We want to make sure we give you um, just a couple seconds here to kind of uh, let people know where they can find you, anything else that you're working on that we might not have talked about, um, anything like that. The floor is yours. Cool. So, yeah, I'm Fluffy Pony on Twitter. Uh, if you want to attend Magical Crypto Conference, then at MagicalCryptoConference.com, tickets are on sale. Um, and we try to keep the ticket prices as accessible and as low as we possibly can, given that it's New York. Um, and then, yeah, Tari is at Tari.com. Um, Tari is being written in Rust. So if you want to learn to, to program in Rust, then there's a project you can work on. Um, Monero is at getmonero.org. Uh, Monero is written in C++. So if you want to learn C++, there's a project you can work on. 
uh, and then um, Globy is at Globy.com, like globe with an E.com. And Globy lets you, um, uh, as a merchant, accept a wide variety of cryptocurrencies um, and uh, not really care about how people are paying you. Um, and uh, yeah, those are sort of the main projects that uh, I'm involved in and the things that I'm most excited about. Awesome. Well, again, we appreciate your time. Chamber, anything else you want to add before we get going? No, uh, just make sure to check out uh, our cool merch uh, on the uh, on the new and improved website uh, with our merch section and check out Patreon. Uh, support us there if you can. Awesome. And Fluffy Pony, thank you so much. Again, we enjoyed having you. We hope you had some fun with us this morning. And other than that, until next time, don't get wrecked. And that is financial advice.